Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 discussion. Today's discussion was about cloud versus edge, and we had a fantastic panel um, discussing what makes edge different than cloud. And this is a really hard topic. There's a lot of things that are going, there's a lot of commercial drivers. And fundamentally, it's different. Uh, the way you deal with the infrastructure, the way you deal with IT, the consumers, and who owns the sources of data are all different. And that shapes how our discussion is structured. And so uh, it's important to listen into understanding who is thinking about the, the source, the ownership, and, and how the technology is going to fit together. Uh, it's a tricky conversation to have, and I'm really excited and about the way that we had it, and I think you'll enjoy it. When, when we put this, you know, edge is a recurring topic for us, um, but I think that we've, we've had a lot of good conversations about what edge is and what's challenging with edge, but one of the things that is worth revisiting is the integration between edge and cloud. Um, and I, let me tee this up just a little bit better because we, we spent some time, I think last week, talking about edge data processing and edge access and things like that. And a lot of it kept coming back to just do that in the cloud, just do that in the cloud, just send it to the cloud. And the cloud is getting more and more localized from that perspective. So there's there's still this idea of what actually is done in edge, how different are they? Should they be different? Right? It's a, a big range of questions. Um, and there's a separate thing which I would ask us to hold off on, which is not confusing the word cloud here with hyperscaler, right. um, or at least save it to the, the second half of the, the, the time. Because I think there's, without a doubt, appetite among the hyperscalers to have edge plays and edge presence. Yeah. Well, but Mark, did you have, yeah, go ahead. I, yeah, I mean, I'm happy to jump in with some quick thoughts. Um, as a preface, I still, um, no one's managed to convince me yet that that I'm wrong. Of course, um, that's a common problem in the US these days, apparently. No one can convince anybody that they're wrong of anything anymore. But um, uh, well, my, my, my model has been reinforced, um, even in ways I didn't um, believe uh, 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 six months or a year ago. And that's that Edge is really more about a, a financial uh, recovery um, opportunity with with technology to solve a problem huh. than it is with a location. And the reason I say that, and I've you know I've written about this and talked about it at events, but the reason I say this is that every IT project that's ever occurred in the history of of humans has only been done unless it was done stupidly has only been done because it would save money, make money, or do both. Even if even if making money was making the customer happier, it's still um, done because it's going to do an improvement. And so if that improvement doesn't pay for itself, then the project isn't done. So edge by virtue is a place where you can financially support a new business model or improve on an existing business model closer to the customer or closer to the action. That's where edge is. And edge, um, I'm in fact, you know, I'm working on a deal right now that isn't really edge and yet it is by all definitions 
And it's it's more about distribution than it is about latency. Latency has a small part to play in it, but it's more about global distribution and localization. Is who am I to call that not edge? That's right? so um, when you talk data, about go ahead. When when you talk about closer to the user or closer to the customer, yep. um, uh, uh, we're we're tech folks, so we we tend to think of like physically closer. But really, it's closer in terms of data, isn't it? It's about well, yeah. It's it's data and performance, right? I mean, because those two are so tied together, right? All of us, uh, we've all here talked, and, and everywhere else, we've all talked about um, the amount of data and what the potential impact is on trying to manage, maintain, send that somewhere else, egress it. I mean, some of us probably saw the same story where it it, it cost more to egress a terabyte of data out of. Um, uh, um, uh, Amazon than it does to buy a new terabyte disk and ship it somewhere, right? Well, that's, I mean, that's kind of the old adage, right? It's yeah. it's been, that's been the well, case no, for a long time, right? You can well, actually, no, FedEx that's and UPS, it's, it's cheaper timing. to move data. It's, than, it's timing though, Tim, it's, yeah. not, it's not cost, it's timing. In this case, I'm talking, it takes, historically, it's been better to put it on a truck because it got there faster not necessarily because it was cheaper, right? In this case, it's because it's cheaper. And, 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 and so everybody talks about that data piece. Everybody, everybody since the beginning of time who's ever worried about edge worries about latency and talks about that as a primary driver. It still is for many apps uh, and will continue to be and will be more of a driver as the economics support getting closer to the customer. Because if, if you can provide differentiation from one customer, one business to another, supplying a similar app, but you can get it closer to the customer and give them a better experience, and you can do that and and pay for it effectively, you're going to do it. It's just that simple. So latency will become more of an opportunity as economics evolve and improve. The third one, though, and there's probably more, but the third one, and we've I think we've talked about this a couple of times, but it's still a relatively new thought across the industry, is about um, the idea that most edge solutions, by virtue of the reason that they were important to create in the first place, means that they can't be reliant on an external power to remain available to the customer, right? And so in other words, they need autonomy. So think about think about something we all know and, and have been to, a Walmart. A Walmart for a town of 50,000 people is likely the biggest single economy in the town. There are 11,000 Walmarts around the world, each of them with a one gig connection. Right away, you can understand this is not a campus. I can't just take my 100 gig connection and add another one or add three of them to one place. If I want to do data from those locations, I've got to multiply my connections and I've got to dramatically increase their size in 11,000 places. That's not tenable, right? Second, I can't shut down a store for a day because somebody ran into the light pole where the fiber runs before it goes under the road to come to my building. That's not tenable either. So if I'm gonna run solutions in the Walmart that actually in real terms are the only reason that store is able to stay open, which is where we're going, right? From Amazon stores that, that you don't have checkout for, et cetera, et cetera, more and more functions, security, inventory management, even actual sales will happen in the store automatically. And if the network is down because you're dependent on a remote capability, then that store is closed. 
You can't just say, oh, Tim, Mark, Rob, go grab your, your pencils and start or uh, pens and start collecting people's credit cards. That won't suffice anymore. So those to me, those are the three things along with that, that ROI model that I'm using now as my definition of edge that are really what I'm seeing as important in the market. Um, but but the biggest the biggest epiphany for me um, over the last uh, three months has been actual validation of my own stupid ideas from the customers that we're working with. Uh, I mean, seriously, guys, I'm not joking. I talked to financial analysts from Wall Street and they asked me for advice on who to invest in. I don't even invest in the companies I tell them they should invest in because I, I, I don't even trust my own future opinion half the time. But Mark, we're, we're laughing with you, not at you. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the stupidest so, thing, right? Stupidest thing. So, so Mark, I have a question. Yeah, uh, it seems to me that five uh, G and Starlink have the potential to flip the script on that. What are your thoughts? Well, flip the script script on where Edge is, or on well, whether it. Well, well, there's this there's this kind of uh, relationship between uh, bandwidth latency and processing or pre-processing of data at the edge dependent on those constraints, which I think is what you're talking about. Yeah. But when you throw in 5G and the ability to get 100 gigs or 100 megs, you know, anywhere on the planet with Starlink, um, that kind of, that, that changes that the input coefficients into that equation, doesn't it? Well, I think it does in in a couple of cases. I don't I don't know that. I, so here's a complex answer. Sorry. Um, in, in first answer is yes. I think it does have potential to change certainly for some workloads in the sense that it will provide a a level of redundancy for those applications where sharing data over long distance is supportable. Right. So I think I think that that's a real potential opportunity. Um, the the risk, of course, though, is that I'm seeing an avalanche of demand, and I, I realize a lot of this isn't public yet, but I'm seeing an avalanche of demand for more distributed workloads, call them what most people call edge or not, is immaterial. Um, uh, and and those that avalanche of workloads is happening faster than 5G is becoming a dominant option in markets around the world, right? Because 5G is not anywhere near I thought it'd be by now. I thought we would be using it much more effectively uh, for workloads, real workloads by now, and we're still not, uh, and we probably won't for another two or three years. So that's a inhibitor, but it's still an indicator of where we might go in the future. But the other piece is still that, um, you know, the, the latency, even though the latency on the Starlink um, network is pretty good, um, it's still a, an additional, at a minimum, an additional two routers and distance um, which will add significant latency. And the bigger the data set, the more the latency um, impacts you based on the distance, right? Your distance, your distance and your latency are magnifiers. So even though you've got a one gig connection that works in two milliseconds to go traditional distance of two milliseconds, if you have to go to, to a distance that would, would be four milliseconds for a ping, that new one gig load might take five milliseconds, to get there because of the way the packets are handled, depending on packet size, packet failure, all that stuff. And so network, I think, especially centralized network is still going to continue to be a problem um, as data volumes grow at the edge. But it also 
um, is becoming more and more apparent, even here in the U.S. with with laws like what California's put in, the laws across Cal- uh, across Europe, Asia has different laws in different countries for data protection, et cetera. Um, the Middle East does that. A bigger one of the other bigger drivers around data beyond localizing it so that you get that additional performance and maybe you could call it security or cost benefits or whatever they are is the fact that it it has um, sovereignty issues, compliance issues that keep it close to where it's being created. Yes, Rocky, sorry, I'm I'm acting as um, as the as the speaker here. I apologize for dominating all the time. Can't hear you, Rocky. Yeah, you're off mute, but we don't have your audio. I think she's still having audio issues. There we go. We can see her. Yep. We can see her. Oh, she yeah. has a comment. Oh. She put a comment in. Oh, the um, issue Mark was speaking of is mission critical criticality. Yep. Right. No, totally, totally true. But um, to Tyler's point specifically, if you had the economics to support having an appropriate WAN connection, but maybe not two of them, but you could also use 5G as a backup or even the primary with WAN as secondary, then you have a level of availability that might support workloads being run somewhere other than at the edge, right? And I think that that will be a solution for a particular amount, a particular type of um, workload. I I would argue even without the reliability of those connections, what we've been seeing is that cloud and doing things in cloud infrastructure is the default, right? Part of part of my my thinking on what you're saying, Mark, is yeah. we've reached a point where autonomy is not the default that people assume. Like like yeah. local autonomy of operations is a is a much higher lift, and therefore not the default behavior when people build infrastructure. This is to me the the essence of the of the edge versus cloud conversation is like. Yeah, if I'm going to build something and get something started, I'm just going to do it in cloud. Yeah, because it's close enough. I can, you know, the networks are good enough um, for me to to go through that process. Building it on premises is or on, at the edge. Um, no, and all I, this all this overhead, even if right. it's cost effective or faster. Well, I, and I agree with that, it, um, it, and it, I, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that because I think it's the same model that. Some of us, at least, uh, um, speaking, you know, about Tim and you, and, and I can't speak for everyone else. Joanne, probably, who I've had more conversations with, maybe even with Tyler. Um, this equilibrium is the wrong word because that equates, in theory, that equates to fifty-fifty. Um, but a, a, a an eventual balance of on-premise versus uh, on-premises versus public cloud is something that is is a there's a natural lifespan of how. Someone adopts cloud first because it's easy as a starting point. Um, second, because they're still learning how to use that stuff. Third, because they they have to go through a phase of, of determining what apps are best supported by using the public cloud. And then fourth, they get to a final point, and there may be other steps in there, but fourth, fourth they get to a final point of, or maybe not a final point, I'll say fourth is they make a decision about some apps that make sense in the cloud and some apps that make sense to keep on premises. And then fifth is is kind of, the stage where they get to the point where they say, okay, this application from a monetary driver for this business has too much of an impact on my cost of sales for me to allow anyone else to own it. 
because even a 5% benefit on cost savings from me doing it alone is, is a 2% bump in earnings for the quarter, right? And so that, that transition period is beginning to happen in public cloud uh, and will happen more and more as more companies become true digital companies. Um, and I think that that, uh, to some degree, some of that same activity is likely to happen on edge. But like every trend that we watch in technology, it's likely to happen faster at edge because people know the pattern now. So, so Mark, I was thinking about what you were saying before, or well, actually, Rob, about the uh, you know the the default being cloud instead of on prem. I think those of us that grew up in IT have that perspective. Um, but then if you look at OT, which is in my view, kind of where the um, where the edge grew up, the nursery for the edge, uh, that's the, the default there is still local, right? It's still on premise, not necessarily in data center, but it's on premise. And I think what we're seeing now though, is we're seeing, emerging business models and use cases that require the merging together of IT and OT into a single capability to deliver a different customer experience based on interacting with that user at the edge, as well as sensing or, or extracting information at the edge and processing that information to create that different experience. But it requires the combination of OT and IT. Um, so to me, it's, it's, it's very challenging because you want, it's almost like you have a different tribe of people, the OT tribe and the IT tribe <laughs> and how we come together. And if, if you've gone to any of the OT meetups, you know, it's a different crew, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know if I have a clear point in this, but just a way to frame the issue as, as more of this IT versus OT and how, how they start to mend together and, and and for me, it's really about the business case. So what what is what is what are we trying to do for that user, and how does how does the technology and the edge and on premise support that? Right. And that, and that, that Tyler, I mean that that sums it all up. I mean every other conversation we have about um, edge or not edge or on premises or public cloud is immaterial to to the answer to that question. How does this opportunity solve a problem or create an opportunity for a business and do it in a way that um, is cost effective? And every company in the world, in fact, what I think if you guys, um, if, if we went out and actually did a study on this, I'm saying it's anecdotal from my perspective at this point, but whether it's companies that are working with blockchain or companies that are working with edge computing, um, a lot of what we don't know about this environment or what we don't see happening about the, this environment is not because there isn't noise or things happening. It's because companies are still looking at these things as real differentiators. These are new ways for the tech, for, for companies to really provide differentiation to their customers, the likes of which they haven't seen since the beginning of cloud or the beginning of internet. And um, so we're not hearing about a lot of them. Closely held special sauce. I mean, that's, that's right. That's right. Yeah, when, when we 
everything we've talked about so far has really been business to business. When we say user, we're not necessarily talking about a, a, a customer per se, uh, or at well, least I, it feels that way to me. Larry, I am actually, I, I'm like, I'm, um, I'm saying there is a monetary value as an example. I'm saying there's a monetary value in providing differentiation or deeper engagement, which is part of differentiation. It could be performance. It could be um, deeper engagement. Um, it could be better experience. It could be all three of those things. But if any company in the world, any company in the world that had a reasonably smart leadership team would say yes to the question of, We'd like to give the customer a better experience. And oh, by the way, boss, it's not going to cost you any more money than the way we're doing it today. When we get anywhere close to that model, that's when the edge is likely to really explode from an end customer use of services and, and, and capabilities. But guys, I apologize. I love this conversation, but um, we are this close to closing on an opportunity and I got to get on a call with a bunch of other people. Um, so, but uh Please feel free to engage me if you want to get more of my, you know, lame opinions on this subject, but love the topic. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Talk to you later. Thanks, Mark. So, Larry, I can give you an example. I, I, I was thinking about an actual user as well. Um, mm -hmm. So I've got a customer that's a mortgage bank, and we were talking about, uh, here's, here's an example of an edge use case for a consumer. So imagine that we use beacons on cell phones. Uh, for So this is a mortgage company. So our job is to close a mortgage with a home buyer. And imagine if we went and we used beacons and cell phones to be able to interact via application with a potential home buyer as they go through a model home and in a new development. And we're able to share information between the mortgage company and the developer in terms of how much time they spend in each room and what what uh, home and uh, additions, you know, premium upgrades they're interested in. Uh, that uh, we would be able to build stickiness between the developer driving leads into the mortgage company, so top of funnel opportunity, then also create a better experience for the developer because they can create personalization uh, for the, the, the uh, additional options that they present to the home buyer. Uh, and then in addition, some of those upgrades could include things like premium appliances, so we could pull in like Sub-Zero and Wolf and other uh, appliance manufacturers and share data with them, but it's all based on that edge interaction with the user via the application on the mobile app, as well as uh, the geolocation of that user within uh, the uh, the model home, and 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 that's the that's the example where some of that processing will be done in the cloud, some of it will be done on you know on the cell phone uh, but then we're also sharing data across at least three probably well four because you got the realtor involved as well uh, four different distinct industries as well so that's where you have kind of this convergence of edge versus cloud versus you know uh, 
data monetization as a component, but all of those things kind of work together in this virtuous cycle to create competitive differentiation for the mortgage bank. And to, to Mark's point, you know, if you have smart leadership, they should be understanding this to go like, yeah, we should absolutely build this because this is going to increase, you know, uh, you know, top of funnel, it's going to increase conversion rate. It's going to do all these great things for our company. Uh, but unfortunately, folks like us on, on the Zoom call are the ones that can figure that out. And your typical CEO of a typical company, uh, they're just not there yet. No, I mean, I, I'm, I completely agree. I think the phone is the biggest edge device that we have today. And, and there are companies that could not exist if the phone didn't have compute and memory. And, and if you look at the, you know, the amount, of, the amount of computation that some of the apps that are popular now would have to have in the cloud to service the same number of users would be, you know, unbelievably expensive you know just just being able to 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 do tiktok on your phone and do your edits and all of that before it gets uploaded is a big deal and so i just wanted to make sure that we weren't because when we a lot of times when we talk about offline and online experience we're thinking about the business itself but you know the 5g and the cell phone being offline is not something that we see a lot of apps deal with. Just well, if I could please get in here, um, I would say there to Tyler's point, there's actually three use cases that we've seen now play out across manufacturing supply chain and the upstream and downstream of both. And that would be, you have direct-to-consumer marketing and business models emerging from manufacturing as a first. We're, we're not talking about using retail in the middle as the middleman. So that's where the OTIT unification needs to happen to get people on board more with edge in the sense of the latency and also the revenue driver, because it's not only optimizing cost, it's creating value and with the value comes the revenue. That's one model. The second is there's a huge switch going on in automotive and all of its supply chain to software for the first time, up 35% year over year. And that makes me very concerned about where that computing takes place because as we move closer and closer to autonomous vehicles, we look at security, we look at all the factors that are involved, you're gonna have to have edge to make that happen in real time for those vehicles to function. It's not gonna have, it's not only latency, but the economic argument of ROI is, think about an automotive manufacturer who differentiates based on the fact that the telemetry coming back comes back faster than their biggest competitor, BMW and Audi, use case. The third one is that to the point made about the phone being the wearable of choice, it's not. There's a huge wave coming of wearable devices that are designed for OT so that you don't, because you can't always have your phone on a factory floor, 
or if you're in trades, you can't always have your phone uh, on you because of, you know, current, current, uh, for lack of a better word, or ESD. In those situations, they're coming out, there's a whole bunch of companies coming out with wearable devices that are designed to do similar capabilities to your phone, but without the downsides of the phone, like the battery charging, like the RF that's emitted and all of the other sort of negligible things. Those new devices will allow you to do both. Go to the cloud to get some of the information that you need and also go directly into OT type uh, in building automation, building systems, life safety and construction. And how those are being orchestrated is through digital twins. But the processing of that data is happening at the edge, whether it's in the device itself, which has a small bit of computing power, or at a local server, which it's connecting to through either RF or Bluetooth. And ORAN is doing a lot of work in that environment. So these are the three business cases and trends that we're seeing coming out. I would disagree with the comment that CEOs are not ready for this, we're not looking in this direction, we're seeing a huge number that are. Out of 1,800 that were surveyed, more than 1,300 want to go this route because they see it as revenue generating as well as cost saving. And they're looking at the numbers coming back from the cloud after three to five years in, and they're not happy. They're not happy with the cost of it or the security aspects of it. Those were the two main drivers to have either increased data center capability or on-prem edge or within a one-mile radius. And we also put the question to them as the one-mile radius. So, jo Joanne, when I when I said that they're not ready, I, I did not mean that uh, they don't want to invest in edge. What I mean is that it's very difficult for them to actually draw the dots in terms of developing the specific business use cases. So I think it's incumbent on technology leadership like ours to be able to collaborate with the business to be able to generate those types of use cases. Um. I don't disagree. I think there's there's two groups that are emerging. Those that were early adopter digital, digital companies, so the more mature, who are now going back to have to revisit all of their install of digitization or digitalization because it's five years in and it's obsolete technology in many cases. And those that are first time sort of late entrants and laggards even some Luddites that are seeing that waiting was actually good for them because the technology has now matured and they can make a better choice. Well, there are actually two pieces to that, right? Because I, I hear Tyler, what you're saying and Joanne, what you're saying. And, and what I'm seeing is there's, there's the understanding of needing to execute, but then there's the actual how they execute. And I think that's where at least I'm seeing the divergence is there are a lot of folks, a lot of executives, CEOs specifically that know they need to execute, know they need to go down this path. They just don't know how to do it. And they don't have kind of Tyler, to your point, they don't have the right team 
to be able to take them down that path. So I don't think it's a matter of they don't, at least from what I'm seeing, and it sounds like it resonates with some of what Joanne has observed too, but they understand that they need to go down this path. It's just more of a question of how to execute down that path. And I agree with you, Tyler. I think that's where the uh, technology executive really can assist in um, helping, not necessarily in providing the solution always, but rather in terms of um, providing that leadership and that collaboration to bring the right group of folks together. So Tim, let me ask you a follow-up question on that. Um, So for me to be able to get to that point, it's taken me a year of working in the mortgage industry to understand the business well enough to be able to take my technical mind and the business mind and put it together into the use case. So what are your thoughts on verticalization or industry-specific knowledge and how we how we manage all of this from a talent management, from a leadership perspective? Oh my gosh, there's so much to unpack there. <laughs> it's it's not an it's I'll be honest, it's not an easy answer. And some of it comes from um, just where each of these industries are. I mean, from what limited experience I have with the mortgage industry, it's incredibly antiquated in the way it works. Um, and so that becomes a, a hurdle. Your CEO can become a hurdle in terms of they know they need to execute. They don't know how to go down that path, but at the same time, they're falling back on those traditional ways or traditional conversations. And so that becomes a hurdle. Um, the relationship that you as the leader have with the CEO and the trust that you've built, um, that can become a significant hurdle for many CIOs. Um, I mean, that's just the starting point. And then you get into the, how do we go through this? And it's not just the CIO-CEO relationship, as you well know, it's with the rest of the executive team. You know, they have to move through this pro- the same exact process. Um, and it takes time. If you've got these hurdles, it's not like you can quickly knock them down. There are exceptions to that, to that statement, but it's not that you can quickly knock them down. The exception that I would say is when you have an incident or have something you can capitalize on, we see this in the security space, right? A breach happens, what happens? All of a sudden the coffers open up, unlimited fund, I mean, not really, but relatively unlimited funds appear out of nowhere. And all of a sudden there's a lot of activity and spending and discussion. And you're able to do things that you were never able to do after hours and hours of conversation. And all of a sudden, boom, it's being, it's being addressed. You have to find those, those opportunities to really kind of help catapult you forward, but you have to kind of list out what the challenges are. And it's a collaborative process. I'm just skimming the surface, Tyler. This is not, this is not easy to go through, but it goes back to something you said earlier, which is the IT and the OT coming together, right? Well, that's that's a big bridge to cross at the best of times, but where we've, you know, we get into a lot of the how-to, not just the vision and and the strategy, but reverse engineering. How do you actually go about doing this? And where where most of the barriers are coming up is not CEO CIO. It's in the actual legacy systems that are on 
on premises right now and the inability to make those work without significant install. For example, PLMs for large corporations, they can run up to $20 million. This is not, a, you know, not something to sneeze at and these decisions take years to make. If you've got a system that you've spent that kind of money on where your payback is, you know, five years or eight years or whatever it is to suddenly say, well, you can't make that either cloud ready, cloud native or cloud available, then you look for the ways that you can start offloading some of that data into an edge to edge server or an edge capability and you cobble together some solution. That being said, the OT folk seem to be the one, uh, plant managers in particular, that have very innovative ideas of how to, how to make it work, but they don't always agree with what would be ITIL or any kind of policy level governance in IT. And that's where the, the bridge really needs to be built. It's not the necessary two units that won't see eye to eye or communicate with each other. It's the, your policy and way of doing things is so contrary to what our ISO blessed IT group is that we can't get from here to there. So we have to find a creative solution. But to your point about mortgage, where we have a company that a client that that's a very large Canadian brokerage and we actually got the mid-level managers to design their process on paper for us and we looked at it and we saw all the inefficiencies but we also saw uh, we also gave them back about six different ways that they could monetize the data that would come out of those processes to help the real estate brokers and to help the buyers get over the hurdles of, you know, mortgage insurance and whatever. And yes, it's a very different process in, in Canada than it is in the U.S. We're 10 times more strict and you really have to jump through some significant hoops to get a mortgage uh, as a first time buyer or a second time buyer or whatever. So because of those regulatory constraints, we showed them that they could actually offer a service in some of these cases that would take some of that data and also smooth out the process by using RPA in some instances, by redesigning the processes. That's where we found the most value in coming up with a solution for, for this particular customer. So were they able to, uh, were they able to uh, implement your suggestions? Yeah, actually, um, this particular company works a lot with land developers to build new subdivisions and stuff like that. And so they partnered together with the developers and you can now walk into, uh, well, on the virtual tours of the 3D renderings and stuff like that, you can actually pick and choose your appliances, your finishes, all of that sort of things where they send you a little sample kit of your own. Because of COVID, they don't have their design centers open and you can choose everything at home, feed the information up, and they literally tell you which trade will come in and do this. So it's become a very fluid and fluent capability for them, and they're loving it. What they're also seeing is that their turnaround time uh, on processing between mortgage brokers and agents in the new developments is about 60% faster 
So they can process a lot more. And the value that they're bringing to the consumer is to say, you know, if you go with all standard finishes and want to do X, Y, or Z, like putting in hardwood flooring that's not standard, your aftermarket cost will be this, your in-market cost will be that, right? Get it done before you move as opposed to after. So it's had significant benefit. And we've created the whole thing with them. We don't do coding. Uh, we outsource that where they outsource that. It's their choice. Um, so and putting in sort of a trade-oriented portal as opposed to a consumer-oriented yeah, that, one. That's awesome. So, so Joanne, I have a question. So is this how is that structured? Is it structured as a JV between the different participants? Or is it or is or is the 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 digital twin platform that you described owned by one particular player like the mortgage company or the land developer or the real estate agency? It's a joint venture of all the stakeholders and the um, funding for the software itself for the for the digital twin. We chose uh, we gave them a list of three. We helped them negotiate the deal and the company that they chose happens to be in building automation and construction as a digital twin provider. So we got them to do the modeling and all of that sort of stuff. But all of the intellectual property is owned by, it's actually three land developers, uh, two uh, financial institutions, the town, because they're in for tax revenue and how the regulatory part works. And so there's, I think, in total, 10 players that are all part and parcel of this. And so far to date, it's it's been working very, very well. That's very interesting. That's actually a proof point for Ray Wang's book, where he yeah. talked about those collaborative DDDNs. I'm not yeah, sure that would work I in the U.S., by the way. Pardon? I said, I'm not sure that would work as well in the U.S., I don't see why not, to be honest, because we, you know, like PNC is one of our customers. So we look at them and other U.S. banks as um, just because they have an easier time, actually, because they're not regulated the way ours are. Right. We have five major financial institutions, maybe six that are considered chartered banks and heavily regulated. And the rest are all considered class B. And still tightly regulated, but not to the same degree, where we put two of the major players together with two other of the Class B banks. So all four are now able to offer this. Yeah. How they roll it out, when they roll it out is up to them. We were, you know, we, we came in from the strategic perspective and the how to, how to figure this out, how to architect it. Now let's put in the players to go do it. But it was that middle management layer that really helped us the most because they were hands-on with the processes. And yes, to Tim's point, they are very antiquated processes. Hopefully that's food for thought for you. Yeah, that's that's an excellent example. I, I was, I'm just processing that and comparing it to my own experience. Um, you know, just from a capability maturity standpoint, um, 
there, so mortgage banking is, is super fragmented, super antiquated. Um, it's going to, your, the capability maturity around, around business process design is going to vary wildly. So in some organizations, you'll have the ability to do, to do that. Other organizations don't even have documentation of the processes that it's, you know, uh, you know, somebody goes on maternity leave and, and all of a sudden they can't, you know, um, they can't close any mortgages, you know. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me of a, a, a quick anecdote. Uh, my son is... Um, an electrician, a licensed electrician, but also a licensed life, life safety tech. And he was telling me this story yesterday that just blew my mind as a security company, which happens to own other companies, et cetera, go way down in the pecking order. They bought a little um, um, manufacturer of security devices, you know, like speakers and strobe lights and all that kind of stuff for safety. Long story short, the way their distribution and licensing arrangement was with their distributors, they have literally locked themselves out of some major corporations. They cannot go into the panels that, that run these devices, et cetera, et cetera. To make a long story short, it would take a year of two FTEs working 40 to 50 hours a week to recode all of these devices to make them accessible in one building alone. And there's over 60,000 devices in that one building. And neither the company that was acquired nor, nor the parent company has keys to open their software to actually go in and rewrite it. Oh. Not only that, it has to be rewritten in a way that every single device is noted by its barcode in the order in which it was put in. So it's not one, two, three, or three, two, one, or two, one, three. You have to know based on the wiring of each device, physical wiring, what order these things were placed in. And this is like one of the largest security companies in the world. And this is apparently pervasive through this industry of life safety all your fire alarm systems, all your elevators, all your devices, which I think is extraordinary. And that's one of the, what, that's one of the places where edge in building automation and life safety systems is gonna come into play way greater than it will ever be in cloud. A, because it's not capable and B, because the, the latency there would be, I'm on fire. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, somebody just got notified. Yeah. Yeah. But to make that kind of a change, it, it, it's insanity. This, what what you're saying, and we need we need to wrap up because we're out of time. Sorry. But but no, uh, this these are great stories, and I think it's really important. I think we continually underestimate how easy things have been in the cloud, right? And that the transition to edge exposes problems that we haven't spent a lot of time codifying or making easier, right? There's, and so the, this idea that we're just going to turn every edge thing into the cloud is um, it's a little misguided because I think the problem space is different. Yeah, there's so much technical debt. I mean, you know, on the cloud side in IT, we've been working with re-architecting applications for going on two decades now. 
Yeah, but I'm not even sure. I think there is technical debt in the way these devices are are built and managed and maintained. Um, I think there's also like we've spent you know 15 minutes talking about there's organizational silo issues that have to be broken down. And you know the fact that that we're celebrating you know companies collaborating to get something done shows you just how hard it is to really do reasonable partnerships. Um, yeah, well, the, and there's these, these are these are these are the issue. These are the issues with Edge. Sorry, Larry. There's cognitive debt as well. I mean, when Tyler says we've been re-architecting the cloud for the cloud for a long time, that's true, but we don't necessarily do it the way that we need to in this new environment. And, true. And, and so what we've what we've learned in the past, those reflexes are wrong in some cases. Uh, and, and yep. That is actually would be a topic for a whole other thing. Yeah, it's, it's the, the and that's sort of where I where I wanted to go with this. It, it's, but I think it's worth saying the reflexes that we have for cloud. I mean, I know this firsthand with hardware work that there's times when the reflexes that we have for hardware don't or cloud don't don't translate well into hardware. It's, I, I believe the other way around is not as bad, but uh, anyway. All right, I, I don't want to run us over because I, I do want to keep us on track. Um, thank you all. And I will see you next week. I hope. Thanks. Thanks for making it happen, Rob. Uh, my pleasure. I love these conversations. See you soon. Shana Tova. Shana Tova. Happy New Year. Bye. Thank you for joining us on another Cloud 2030 discussion. Uh, Edge is one of our favorite topics, and we will keep coming back to this one. Our agenda is posted online and, uh, you know, please come in and look at the topics that you want. We want to hear from you. These are really hard, complex topics. And the more voices and thinking that we have on it, the better the discussions. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently. Because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know, laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.